welcome to the JSGC Policy Podcast. I'm Susan Elder, and in today's podcast, we will be interviewing someone at the head of an office whose work is evident throughout the entire Capitol, whether it's in the House or the Senate, both Republican and Democrat. His office sets up and maintains the computers, the networks, the websites, and data repositories throughout the Capitol. So we're looking forward to hearing all about this today. Thanks for joining us. Today's podcast is the third in our series where we talk to fellow legislative service agencies. Joint State is an LSA, and over the past couple of months, we've spoken with Capital Preservation and also Legislative Reference Bureau. Today, I'm here with Glenn Pasowitz, our executive director here at Joint State. Hello, Susan. And Brian DeWalt, who is our sound engineer and co-host. Hello, Susan. Glad I could join you. And our guest today is Brent McClintock, who's the executive director of LDP, or Legislative Data Processing. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today, Brent. So before we dive into what LDP does, could you give us a little bit of information on your background, how long you've been working at LDPC, and actually how you came to be there? Sure. I uh, went to the University of Pittsburgh. That's where I got my degree. I got a degree in computer science and I got a minor in math, although uh, don't quiz me on that because I promptly have forgotten all of the math topics. But I graduated around 2001 in 2001, and that was when the dot-com bubble burst, uh, which was a historically bad time to look for a job, as many people who are graduating from school can probably attest to. So I had lined up a job with a dot-com startup in Gettysburg and was excited to work there. And about a month later, they folded. And so I was quickly on the job hunt again and found a... uh, an ad in the newspaper that didn't really say where it was from or who it was for. And that's what led me to the legislature. So that was in 2001. And I've been here for 21 years. So uh, Brent, can you give us a little history and background of uh, legislative data processing? Sure. So LDPC was created back in 1968. Our enacting statute was back in 1968. So we've served the General Assembly for a little over 50 years. Uh, We're a bipartisan service agency, so we support the House and the Senate and all four caucuses and then the legislative service agencies as well. Uh, You know, one of the really important aspects that uh, differentiates LDPC is our bipartisan nature. So, you know, it's really important for us to maintain neutrality and to serve all four caucuses and, and each party equally in the same fashion. And so, you know, it's in our enacting statute, it's in our mission statement, it's something that we take really seriously in what we do. You know, our office was created by necessity is probably a good way to look at it. Uh, back in the 60s, there was a move to uh, use mainframe technology to introduce electronic data storage and things of that nature. At the time, it was, you know, rooms full of uh, huge computer equipment uh, that was, you know, fed by punch cards and ran through the night and things of that nature. The legislature worked with IBM to create a system that would store legislative and financial information. And through the most better part of the decade in the 60s, IBM worked with the legislature to get that system up and running. And then by necessity, there was a group that needed to maintain and support that and extend it. And that's where LDPC came into play. And so we were created to 
operate that system, extend it, and then work with the legislature to see where that sort of technology could be used. Uh, early on, our, our role was, as the name implies, more of a data processing, data input scenario. Those early computer systems uh, weren't what we would call user-friendly. It took a lot of work to get the data in and out of those systems. And so we had a lot of staff that worked as data input clerks, and that's hence the legislative data processing name that's in the statute. So we worked really closely with the Reference Bureau, and we actually had a lot of staff that did late night data input. So similar to what LRB does today, uh, we had a staff that would input bills and amendments um, in the evening after session had ended and then have it ready into the system for the next day. And that was pretty time intensive. It took a lot of a lot of time. And so that was where a lot of focus went into. And then over time, as those systems improved and LRB was able to fully take over those responsibilities, then we moved more towards the data management, system management side. Through modernization and through technological improvements, we've adapted and changed to sort of support the technology and see where it could serve the legislature. Brent, what are some of the key functions of the LDPC today? Well, there's different ways that we can look at it. You know, the easiest way is we look at our organizational structure and we we uh, have about 30, 33 individuals that work in our office organized into four logical groups. We have a, a front office help desk that handles the administrative matters in the office uh, and also handles our help desk, which sees you know, thousands of calls and emails and requests come in throughout the year. And so, you know, they handle things like that. We have a, a networking team that handles the infrastructure and that's everything from desktop support up through databases and servers network. The shared network that the capital runs on and connects all the coxes is something that LDPC provides and maintains and supports. We also have two custom development teams that we separate them into legislative and administrative, but those two teams create custom applications to support the legislature. And we, the legislative team, for example, creates legislative applications to support that workflow. Everything from the drafting system that we created with the Reference Bureau uh, to create bills and amendments, uh, statutes, and maintain that repository, but also the the day-to-day workflow of the legislature. So whether it's the Senate and House calendars, the House voting schedule, the committee meeting agendas, the scheduling of rooms. Uh, There's about 80 different legislative applications that LDP has created and supports, and uh, we get new requests all the time. So it's a sort of an exciting uh, area to work in. And then our administrative team supports the financial and payroll systems that are used throughout the capital. You know, one way to look at what we do is just by our logical sort of breakdown. But I would say, you know, at a high level, all of our teams work together for the same purposes. And whether we are split into different functional groups, they all have really the same mission, same purpose. And that really is the long-term support of critical systems here in the legislature. You know, we maintain and support applications and systems that are really vital to the day-to-day workflow, whether it's administrative, whether it's financial or legislative. And so, like I said, we've been maintaining for over 50 years. And they've changed over time as, as new ideas and features and things like that have come in. Uh, we also provide in-house uh, expertise. 
we don't pretend that we're the only ones that can provide uh, IT services. Uh, by no means is that true. But one of the ways that we've differentiated ourselves really is the long-term support aspect. And we're able to do that because we have, like many of the other legislative service agencies, we've built up a lot of institutional knowledge on what the legislature does, how it operates. And that's difficult for a third party to come in and pick up. And so uh, certainly in private sector, they'd be able to come in and do many of the things that we do. But uh, because we have the institutional knowledge, uh, we're able to cut out a lot of the learning aspects of the early processes of projects and really fast track it and get to providing services. And that allows us to do it in a a pretty cost-effective manner uh, rather than sort of starting at ground zero. And plus you're looking at the long-term good of the institution as a whole, the legislative bodies as a whole, as you make your changes, I think with the, I interact with the, what I'm assuming is your administrative team and the payroll and expensive stuff where they, you provide a bridge to treasury for our office that with the database that we interact with. Another example is when I work as the administrator of the Joint State website, I interact with your team to troubleshoot anything that could go wrong uploading our reports, or if we have to add any new features as our organization grows. You'd mentioned that the experience of the people working in the LDPC is one of your strongest assets. It's a major issue in state government when people retire and some of that knowledge that you're talking about goes with them. What are your thoughts on preserving institutional knowledge? That's a great question. And it's something that is very important for us because like you said, people come and go as their lives change. And so it's really important that we're able to maintain that long-term support regardless of who is in front of the desk. And so uh, it's something that we've, uh, over the many years, we've, uh, I'd say by trial and error, have tried to figure out the best way to do that. We try as much as possible to overlap our projects with multiple people so that that cross-training is available. We do try to, to make sure that the d- documentation and things like that are there. We always say, if, if you hit the lottery, all right, and you decide to move to Hawaii, we wanna, we wanna throw you a big party and celebrate, but we also want to make sure that your coworkers know what to do when you're you know, sitting on the beach with the luau and things like that. So you know, it is something that we spend a lot of time and effort on because it's, like I said, that long-term support and that institutional knowledge is really vital to our operation. Yeah, and and then that leads to a question about, you know, you have your different teams that you divide into. Are the people who are coming in who are working there, do they have different qualifications when they come in? Like if somebody's going to be working with databases and creating databases, is that a person who has a background or training in information management, database management, who knows how to build databases? And then you have people who are building custom applications, would that be somebody who'd have more of a background in programming? And I don't even know what language is used to create these. Or is it the kind of thing where if you're a good programmer, you can do it all? So do they have different backgrounds, educational experience backgrounds, and that is how they get assigned to the different teams, I guess is my question. It didn't used to be the case. IT historically in the past was much more of a generalized specialty, uh, meaning like you'd said, if you were sharp, then you would come in as a programmer and maybe switch to systems and maybe then handle databases and then work on websites. I would say over the last 10 or 15 years, we've seen a shift towards more specialty where people just due to the complexity of the the technology today, there's just a lot to keep track of. And so um, 
our office has made a move towards hiring specific individuals. Now we still offer the opportunity to change and that's, that's out there, you know, people get interested in things and that certainly happens, but today we often will hire for, let's say a programmer role. And that person has such passion for what they do and uh, really a built-in knowledge of the intricacies of what it takes to do that, that often uh, they specialize and grow in that role versus changing through the other ones. So last month, we heard from Vince, the Liberato over at Legislative Reference Bureau. And just to give people the update, they organize the bills, they draft the bills, they put them in the correct language and format. And that used to be a very intensive typing process, even on a computer, on, on word processing. And then he hinted that there were a couple people who actually helped create a new custom application for drafting. And I think one of them was Kathy Sullivan and the other one was you. So in, in a sense, you are the father of the uh, drafting system that they use over there. So what can you tell us about that whole process? Sure. It's, it's one that I, uh, that was a really a favorite project of mine. Um, we uh, worked with the Reference Bureau for a long time and have a great relationship with them uh, since the 60s. Like I said, we've been working from the mainframe systems and through that. Um, I would say in the late 2000s, um, the mainframe system had really reached a point that it couldn't grow anymore. And there was a desire to move towards a, a more modern uh, system. And so we worked with the Reference Bureau and brought in different vendors to see if there was an off-the-shelf product that could be used. Um, and we uh, worked with the Reference Bureau and decided that there was a, a, a company from Ireland that offered a, a product that uh, had a lot of great features. And so they came in and worked for a few years to customize it and, and get it running. And, uh, you know, in the end, um, I think that they did absolutely everything that they could. Um, and they were really smart people and worked really hard. The, the problem, unfortunately, was just uh, that institutional knowledge. Uh, Pennsylvania's legislative process is just so drastically different than um, maybe some of the European systems or actually in many of the other states. And so there were complexities um, that have grown over time that were really difficult to sort of shoehorn into an existing system. And so um, after a few years of working with the Irish team, um, the Reference Bureau came to us and asked if we could um, maybe look to bring that in-house. And so at the time I was the supervisor of the legislative applications team. And um, so I had a group of about six or seven people at the time. Um, that were handling all the legislative applications. And so we took on the challenge of recreating that drafting system and that statute system. Um, it's something that we're really proud of over the span of um, one year, we were able to recreate their statutes system. We started there and then we moved on to the drafting and amending system. And so in about uh, 15 months, if I remember correctly, we were able to recreate uh, from the ground up um, the, the drafting and amending system that uh, you know, we did completely in-house. Uh, there was no cost in licensing uh, to the legislature. So we were able to handle that and we've supported it for the last 10 years, um, grown it and things like that, but it uh, really improved on the performance of the previous system, added a ton of features. It's something we were really, really proud to be able to do in-house. It was a, a huge project, the, easily the biggest one that we had taken on in the last 10 years or so. But in the end, uh, it was a product that 
you know, the reference bureau was happy with that we were able to maintain in-house and grow as, as new features were added and things like that. And uh, we were able to add some new features that even uh, maybe the previous vendor wasn't able to provide. And to do that in-house uh, was something that we were really, like I said, really proud to, to hang our hat on that we were a part of. It was a difficult uh, two-year span. It was a lot to take on, but in the end, I think it was it was worthwhile and something that we were really happy to do. Can you tell us about any of the other work assignments you've enjoyed over the course of your career? I would say early on, I joined in uh, 2001, I joined as a programmer. And so I was able to create some of these applications. And so I really enjoyed working with the people. So some of my favorite things were to, to go out to the different offices, to meet with them and find out what it is that they needed, and then to go back and see how we could problem solve and, and make that happen. And so I got to do that with the legislative offices, with the for example, the Senate Secretary, the House Chief Clerk, and the Legislative Service Agencies. I remember meeting Glenn many years ago. We, we got together and, and started talking about different projects that Joint State could use, and we were able to figure out ways to make that happen. And so I've always really enjoyed the, the people aspect, so going out and working with people and finding out what they need. Recently, we've created some mobile applications for the House and the Senate to use in their day-to-day work to support the legislative sessions and things like that. And that has been neat because we, before getting into that, we really didn't know much about mobile applications. And so we saw a need and were approached uh, with a project and were able to work with the users to see what exactly they needed, where the pain points were and what would be, what cost them a lot of time, what was hard for them to do. And then we're able to use technology on, you know, phones and tablets and things like that to really make things more fluent. Uh, We were happy to see that, you know, we could work with different offices and, you know, provide easier access and use technology to make that a a smoother process for them. And and it's always good to see that those are used really heavily. And and that's a a great feeling. Brent, what kind of training does LDP offer? If you're a staffer in the legislature and you're listening to this podcast, uh, what kind of training is available? So like I said, we have a lot of applications and websites that we maintain for the General Assembly and they grow all the time. So new features are being added by requests uh, really on a weekly basis. And there's new staffers joining the, the House and the Senate on a regular basis. And so one of the things that we do is we work with the caucuses early in the year to provide some large general training on our websites and our applications. But you know, just due to time, we can only really cover those at a pretty high level. And it's way too much to cover in, let's say, a 20-minute segment. And so we do offer custom training, remote and in-person, in our training room on all our websites and all our applications. And so usually that's done by necessity. Let's say if a committee staffer joins, then we would schedule time with them to go over all the different applications that they would use in their day-to-day work. But we've recently found that it's been really helpful to do training sessions with general legislative staff because often they would like to do things that we already provide. So services like bill tracking, for example, or able to do legislative research on current trends, on where data is, on being able to follow legislation. These are tools that we provide that legislative staff need to know how to use. And so we found it really beneficial to uh, reach out and offer those training sessions to the legislative staff on, let's say, our websites and applications. And even just uh, many times we open it up and ask them, 
what, what sort of things are you looking to do or, or what's difficult for you to do today? Many times some of the same issues come up and we're able to provide tools uh, that exist already or that we can create new tools for. Brent, are there any tools or features that LDP offers that the general public would be able to take advantage of? Yes. So the legislature has been really involved in transparency efforts and working towards providing feature sets and data to the general public. And so some recent examples of that, the public website is really a robust tool to provide legislative data, almost in real time, in many cases, to the general public. So following bills and committee activity and things like that. So our website, uh, which is www.legis.state.pa.us, is a tool that's available to the, the entire general public, Pennsylvania and worldwide. And there's tools out there for following information, plus there's subscription tools. So people can sign up to our, what we call PA Legis notifications. There's a login button at the top of the website, but they can follow and subscribe to specific bills, uh, general legislative activity. They can get a nightly digest of all uh, legislative actions at the end of the evening, uh, any executive actions. They can follow specific committees or uh, members when they circulate new co-sponsorship memoranda. And that's a free subscription that's out on the website and available to anyone. Last I checked, we had around 15,000 uh, subscribers across the state. But that's a tool that we have out there. We also have you know, some tools. For example, there's a tour guide office that provides tours to Capitol visitors. And they do a fantastic job of showing the art and the architecture of the Capitol to people uh, on a daily basis. But they had come to us with an idea that, you know, there's many people that maybe aren't able to visit the Capitol and could use a self-guided tour from home. The other use case would be uh, non-English speakers who are visiting the Capitol who would like to go on the tour, but unfortunately aren't able to uh, maybe follow along with the content. And so we created a mobile app that's out on the iOS and Android app stores where you can download that and take a self-guided tour of the Capitol. And it takes you, uh, you know, around the Capitol, uh, exactly just like the Capitol tour guides do, but it's closed captioned. So, you know, it helps different individuals with disabilities be able to participate in the tour. And it's also translated into four different languages. And so many of the tour guides have come to us and said that it's been a really helpful tool because now our foreign language guests are able to visit the capital, take the tour, but also follow along with the self-guided tour and get it in their own language. And so that's out there on the app store and maybe a neat tool for people to check out. It's time for us to wrap up our podcast for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Brent, and giving us a better idea of the functions within legislative data processing. If you enjoyed our discussion with Brent today, Please tune in for our next episode. We're going to talk a little bit with Brent about how the COVID-19 pandemic impacted IT and LDP's response. We're also going to discuss the difficulties involved with maintaining cybersecurity and LDP's role in the state's redistricting process. To learn more about legislative data processing, please see the link to their website in our show notes. Also the link to our website where you'll find past podcasts. The music in our podcast is provided by Joseph McDade. Thanks for listening and have a great day.